Part of it is doing this discovery for your particular brand, your particular blend of fitness. What is really the sweet spot as far as the customer is concerned? Hey everyone, I'm Mark Randolph and welcome to That Will Never Work. On this podcast, I speak with folks who are at every stage of building their own business, whether they're leaping from side hustle to self-employed or are already generating revenue and ready to level up. My goal is to draw out their biggest challenges and then, using a combination of advice, encouragement, and tough love, nudge them just a little closer to realizing their dreams. While I'm known for co-founding Netflix and serving as its first CEO, my career as an entrepreneur spans four decades. Netflix was actually my fifth startup, and since leaving there, I've had the opportunity to work with scores of early-stage companies and mentor aspiring entrepreneurs from all over the world. Along the way, I've picked up hundreds of tips, tricks, and secrets, which I'm eager to share with my listeners. Helping others move their ideas forward has become my life's passion. So if you've been told that will never work as much as I have, you've come to the right place. Together, we'll prove the naysayers wrong. Jessica, today's guest, took the bold move of launching Kickhouse an in-person kickboxing studio franchise during the pandemic. Her vast experience in fitness is certainly serving her well, as they already have 35 thriving franchises, with plans to add hundreds over the next several years. Now she's looking at the post-pandemic world and trying to understand how important a blended model, that is, in-person and online training, will be to her customers. As you'll hear from the conversation, she's pretty sharp and on a great trajectory. Hey, Jessica, welcome to That Will Never Work. I'm really excited to hear what you're up to. So I think what the best way to start might be is for you to basically launch into, I don't know, maybe an elevator pitch, or just give me some sense of what you're working on, and then maybe what it is that you want to uh, talk about today. Sure. I'm Jessica Yarmy, CEO of Kick House. We are a modern kickboxing concept that launched during the pandemic. We have grown to 35 brick and mortar locations, and we have pretty aggressive growth goals from there. I want to have 200 studios open by the end of next year. So we have a long way to go on a lot of different to-dos on our brick and mortar path. So really what I wanted to dive in to with you today is coming off of the heels of a year that just was all a buzz about the at-home workout space and the digital workout space. We have dipped our toe into that world, but we're really so far um, kind of staying in a brick and mortar lane. And I know you have expertise on the digital side and, you know, what are your thoughts? Should I really stay like focused on brick and mortar, or should I try to kind of build in parallel and build in both worlds? Well, I certainly get what you're curious about, but I've got to start by just asking, and don't take this the wrong way, but you may have been kicked in the head a few too many times that you would actually have the hubris to launch a bricks and mortar in-person business right in the uh, heart of the pandemic. So what were you thinking? I love fitness and I love the face-to-face fitness space. I love the brick and mortar space, the in-studio experience. I've been in fitness for 
the last eight years. And I just think it's really a powerful space. So really, when oh, I saw... Oh, I don't question that at all. I mean, I'm just questioning the timing. In other yeah. words, let's launch a business and let's all get into a closed room where we're going to basically be breathing really, really hard. And let's do that during a period where the entire world is saying, don't do that. That's what I yeah. mean. Was there a reason you thought this has just no time like the present or that this was an opportunity since every other gym was closed or are you well, a COVID the... denialist or what's going on here? <laughs> I think it's the Warren Buffett quote of when others are fearful, that's the time to be greedy. And, you know, I really looked at it like if there's ever a time to get into the fitness space, it's really when the fitness space was at a rock bottom. And last year was certainly, I think what everyone would agree would be a rock bottom for face-to-face -face fitness. So uh, yeah, we, we launched right in the heart of the pandemic, really with the goal of giving ourselves a few months to get organized, get everything structured, and then ride this wave, ride the wave of post pandemic fitness. Well, let's talk, uh, I was going to say unit economics, but let's just understand how the business works. So I can understand how the business works. So it's a studio, I assume. And how big are they? How many instructors are they? Are you obviously with, uh, would you say 30 of them right now? You're not doing all of this. Are these franchises? What does it cost? Is, I mean, give me a general sense of what this business model is. Yeah, the model is a franchise-owned model. The studio space is about 3,000 square feet. Each studio right now has about 100, 150 members. It is a subscription business, which I know you love, having that recurring revenue in place. The goal is to get to 200 studios that have an average monthly revenue of about $55,000. Wow. So... Now you've got to give me some timing here. Well, let me back up a sec. So there are franchises. So basically these are all people who are kickboxing aficionados or who want to do kickboxing studio work. And do they, each person kind of teach their own classes? Is that kind of the model? Or do they become gym owners and then they have to go out and find other instructors, kind of like a jazzercise yeah, or whatever, Peloton or spin classing kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people come to the franchise space and they really come for the business opportunity. So our franchise owners are more business owners and then they hire a general manager to run the studio and then they hire instructors to teach the classes. So studios on average have about five to seven instructors on staff teaching 50, 60 classes a week. Fantastic. I get it. I promise I'll get to your question, but I'm just intrigued by this. And now I'm intrigued by the whole franchise model mm -hmm. because normally, and I know I can tell already, you're not a person who likes normally. Normally you would start something and you would run it on your own for quite some time long enough in other words to really build the playbook to come up with what are the patterns i'm going to use to acquire customers what are the best ways to look for and find the right employees what's the right model we can do for national collective advertising and then begin bringing in franchisees but it sounds like the time difference between when you started and you began selling the franchises must have been pretty quick yeah absolutely and it probably has just come to life that way because I have experience in the fitness space and more specifically, I have experience in the boutique fitness space. And so the boutique model is 
fairly repeatable. You know, you're looking at small square footage, you're looking at recurring revenue model, subscription membership model, you're looking at high class counts in a specific fitness modality. So yeah, I think there's confidence that I can do this on my own via franchising model because I've worked in it for so long. And is there a ramp for a franchise for they say yes, then there's a period by which they find their location, et cetera, et cetera, then begin advertising, marketing, and then they begin to hit the sweet spot. How long is that period? And then of the 30 franchises, how many of them are in, I don't know, phase one, phase two, or phase three, if that's how you think about it? Yeah. So the 35 that we have right now, they're all open, open and operating. The ramp from the time you sign a franchise agreement to the time you're open and operating is seven to eight months. Typically, you start your marketing month six of that timeline. So you're marketing and selling before your studio is actually open, which just allows you to open the doors and start making money more quickly. And so since the ramp is seven to eight months and you have 35 that are open and operating, you must have a large number who was in the ramp phase in that seven to eight months between when they said yes and when they started operating? Yeah, that's a big focus right now is just to build our pipeline. And we have good momentum right now from having such fast growth through the pandemic. We have a lot of people who are interested in opening And then of the existing franchise owners, they have other studio locations or other territories that they're planning on opening as well. So growth will come from both new owners and existing owners. Okay, I'm narrowing in on being ready to kind of talk about the specific question because I'm forming a picture here. Let me ask you the uh, question I think every business owner, big and small, struggles with, which is to what degree will easing of COVID restrictions help you or hurt you? It's actually already really started to help as vaccine counts and percentages have gone up. Membership counts are going up in parallel. So I think there is a desire to or an increasing desire to get back to fitness as people are walking outside their houses and actually realizing, you know, in the shutdown, I put on pounds, 42% of adult surveys that they put on undesired weight gain during the pandemic. I almost feel like the percentage is likely higher, you know, and people just aren't self-admitting. So definitely that's a dynamic that as the world reopens, as COVID concerns decrease, memberships will continue to increase. Well, for example, the big national fitness chains, where are they in their reopening? I certainly can see that if I had it, like I said, an indoor facility that with the easing of COVID restrictions, it would certainly help you from that perspective. I'm just wondering to what degree you have been buoyed by the fact that you were the only game in town and how that will change once all of a sudden all the other gyms and indoor fitness opens up. In other words, how confident are you and what's that based on? Yeah, it's really based on the fact that through the shutdown, gyms and boutique studios were still operating. They were operating under COVID restrictions, whether set by the federal government or set by the state governments or even the city governments. Different regions played it differently. But, you know, at the bottom, let's say there were restricted to 10% capacity. That doesn't mean you closed. Studios were fighting for 
maximizing every bit of that 10% of capacity. So I, I'm confident because I believe that some of the operational procedures that were really tightened to stay afloat when you're at 10% capacity, if you can keep your business afloat at 10% capacity, at 25% capacity, certainly you can really crush it when you get to 100% capacity. And in most instances, studios are up over 50% capacity. You know, there's still some states that have different restrictions in place, but for the most part, the numbers are getting back up to 100% capacity. So all of the discipline and the tightening operationally that's been done over the last 12 months, it's really going to pay off for the studio owners. Okay, I get it. Or at least I get it as best you can get something as complicated as what you're doing in 15 or 20 minutes. Where does the target of, you were looking to have how many franchises? 300, 200? I can't remember. 200 open by the end of 2022. And where did that number come from? If I said, now what is it for 2023? You'd make a bigger number. Is this get bigger and bigger and bigger? Are you hitting some natural limit? Tell me about that. It will continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger. The natural limit I have in my mind is 700 or 800 studios in the U.S., The 200 number comes from, in a past life, opening 10 to 20 studios a month with fair ease because operational procedures were dialed in, because club opening procedures were dialed in. So I know I can't open 30 studios a month, but I know I can open 10. So midway through next year, will I be able to say, yes, I can open 20? That's the goal. Okay, I get it. Here's the big question, last question, and then we'll begin riffing on some stuff. Why are you considering a digital offering? Because there's the, I guess, belief that as the world reopens, the consumer will want a hybrid experience. So they will want moments of being face-to-face with their coach, and then they will want moments of being in their living room. That's what they've kind of gotten used to. So They'll want those moments of it's Monday at 7 a.m., work starts at 8. Okay, I can still get a workout in because it's down the hall. That's the right answer. Uh, He says, telling her business to someone who clearly has this completely (laughs) dialed down. So I guess what I'm really saying is I think you're exactly um, on target with that answer. And I was asking because there's usually three possible reasons why people ask the question you're asking, which is how should I convert either my digital offering and try and do bricks and mortar, which I quite frankly hear a lot more of. Someone has a direct-to-consumer digital-first business and they want to be a Warby Parker and begin having stores. I work with Chubby's Shorts Company and they have open stores. It's So there is a progression in that direction. And you're basically going the other way. So there's three kind of basic approaches that make sense that are I hear that not all of them make sense. The first one, which you dispelled fairly nicely, was I'm running out of room with my current approach, which is I've already crested and I'm on the downslope that for some reason, either because of demographics or because of how niche the offering is, or for who knows what reason, I've penetrated. And I love the concept and I want to keep expanding. So I now need to begin moving into a connected different space. 
But I think I hear you pretty clearly, and you're saying, no, that is not the case. I mean, I'm at 35, which means I have 665 stores to go before I even begin to go done, because then I, of course, begin launching uh, internationally. So you have got a long path ahead of you. So I'm not hearing that as a good reason in and of itself to go digital. So the second reason that I hear is... Oh, just think of the opportunity of having an online business when paired with the situation you're in, in topic one, which is not even close to having tapped out yet is the worst possible thing, in my opinion, that you could do, which is begin to distract yourself by trying to master, build, roll out, manage a, in many ways, completely different business than the bricks and mortar side, especially when you have 665 more franchises to go before you take a breath. Wow, do I see people make that mistake all the time. And I've talked about that before. You know, in my life, we basically called that the Canada theorem or the Canada principle, which is people are always saying, certainly when Netflix was in the United States only, you should go into Canada. It'd be easy. And of course, it's never easy. It's huge distractions by little things you didn't anticipate, like language barriers and currency differences and national shipping and currency fluctuations and all kinds of crazy stuff. And then fundamentally, you say to yourself, the effort I'd make to get that X percent of revenue bump would be so much more valuable being channeled into the core business. And especially since as you scale, the complexity of your business, which it sounds like you're very familiar with, is going to change. The number of people that you're dealing with as it goes up from 35 franchisees to 350 franchisees, all of a sudden you're going to have to build layers in, regional managers, you have a totally different sales process. You all of a sudden have to begin figuring out the process for closing franchisees and taking franchisees away. And you know better than I do what you're going to bump into, but you're going to have your hands full. And then to think that at the same time, I'm going to launch a whole different business would be nuts. Okay. Number three is that by being really good at digital, in fact, accelerates and further differentiates what you consider could be your core market. And I really, really love that approach. I love it partly from just the business purity of it, but also I know from personal experience how powerful that can be. I'm a huge believer in virtual coaching and that I work with a running coach that I have not seen face-to-face in probably 30 years, maybe less, 20 years since he moved across the country. But I feel almost no difference now between what it feels like working with him virtually and in person. I use Future, which I imagine you're familiar with, which is 100% virtual uh, coaching. So I believe in the huge ability to do fitness coaching without having a person in front of you. Obviously, Peloton has demonstrated how incredibly compelling it can be to have someone who's not really physically there to guide you, motivate you. So I believe you're onto that. And I quite frankly believe that the blended model is in fact probably the most powerful one of all, where as you describe, you can do classes virtually when it's more convenient. You can do classes that have been recorded when it suits you. You can do classes which are basically in your ear when it suits you. And you can be in the studio when it suits you, when you want the camaraderie, when, of course, you want the detailed coaching about form 
or uh, footwork. Again, I will confess, I've never taken a kickboxing studio class. Yet. <laughs> I wouldn't know the first thing about it. But I certainly understand for the future things that I do, I can watch all the YouTube videos I want about the effective way to do a stretch, for example, or to do a certain lift. But sometimes I just wish I could be in the gym and have the person go, no, my God, flatten your back or have your legs positioned this way. So I totally, totally get it. So I think strategically, it makes a huge amount of sense. But here's my tip and my advice. You're going to have to focus your initial efforts in figuring out where the center sits. And I think you should be keeping this open mind. When I say where the center sits is you could certainly envision this as being primarily bricks and mortar with the digital being this ancillary piece that people use when they occasionally can't make a class. But you could certainly imagine that eventually discover, wow, why am I bothering with all this effort in the bricks and mortar when most of the value and the margins are certainly fantastic doing it virtually or you go, somehow these fit together. So I think part of it is doing this discovery for your particular brand, your particular blend of fitness. What is really the sweet spot as far as the customer is concerned? What do they really want? How are they using one versus the other? And to do that, and we can certainly talk more specifically about this if you want, is getting something out ASAP. In other words, being less concerned with the platform, with the polish, with the fit and finish, but figuring out the fastest possible way you can begin trialing with some set of customers, if you haven't already, what it might look and feel like for them to be augmenting their in-studio work with the virtual one. And then, of course, one more thing I'll throw out, just as a placeholder, we can talk about it perhaps in a little bit, is it will be very interesting working out what the business model is when you have a franchise model. And to what degree are you supporting? To what degree are you competing with? Who owns these customers? I think that's a really interesting challenge that you'll have to solve as well. Yeah, I'll have to come back on the podcast and talk through that one separately. <laughs> <laughs> have you started working on a digital solution yet? Yes, but very bare bones. In the digital fitness space, you know, from being familiar with Future for Peloton, you know, the production value on the digital side is high right now. Apple is now in the online fitness space. So we've rolled out Zoom classes where you can participate at home if you're not comfortable being face-to-face -face yet, or if you can't make it into the studio that day. But you know the production value of Zoom versus Peloton experience. So that's where I'm saying that we kind of have our toe dipped in the water. I know that if we want to really lean into it as a parallel revenue stream, that it would need to be a more fully produced offering. And to do that does take production dollars, does take figuring out that revenue share opportunity on the franchise side. I'm going to challenge you on that. Unless there's something inherently different, I would disagree. Certainly, Peloton, their production value for the first few years was mediocre to poor. Yes, now, my gosh, it's spectacular. But it certainly wasn't at the beginning. And I quite frankly think what drives those models working is not the production value, nor should it be, nor can it be the production value. Or put it a different way, if it inherently doesn't work for the customer, if it doesn't fill some driving need in their life in a crappy sense, then believe me, all the fit and finish in the world isn't going to fix that problem. 
Whereas if you are really onto something, once you have found that right resonant model, it really won't make a difference how good the production value is. Now, what I'm not saying is that you want to say, ultimately, don't care. Yes, of course you care. But every day that you don't push on it because you think I can't push on it because the production value is too low, that's the part where I would dispute Mm-hmm. that premise. I think that you could be going full speed. Zoom is fantastic. I mean, you're right. The production model is great. But think about it this way. If you get this to work on Zoom, that should be the model. You should be able to get it to work with a crappy production. It should be that powerful. And there's no reason the things that you learn from that won't scale up some when it gets better and better. I think, especially with fitness, what you're trying to do is learn What percentage of the time do they prefer the Zoom versus prefer in the studio? And that is so fundamentally important. Once you realize how important is live virtual versus recorded virtual, you can learn that with Zoom. And you'll be able to do 10x the experimentation on Zoom than you will building out your production capability. And even worse, you got me in a roll here. This is not quite as bad as Peloton's problem because Peloton was doing hardware. But if you begin to build a production capability, you very well could find yourself that you built the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And if you basically use the opportunity of having someone else worry about all the infrastructure and you're just going to worry about content, you can experiment to your heart's content and pretty quickly gain this inner visceral sense of, I now really, really know what works and what doesn't work. Now I'm ready to standardize. And for example, just think of how production difference would be different if you realize, no, it has to be live versus it can be pre-recorded. Or once you realize it can be in your ear with pre-recorded exercise rather than having to be visual. You might know all these things, but you can learn them in so much faster and quicker and cheaper and easier. And tomorrow, if you say, I'm not going to worry about building out, I'm going to use Zoom. I'm going to use Google Meets. I'm going to use whatever is closest to solving the quick problem so that you can learn how to build the stuff that you're super, super familiar with in the bricks and mortar world in this one and learn how they fit together. And the other one is I would stop me here if you need to, but I would purposely pick one or two of your studios as your betas here, go deep with them. So almost from day one, it's like as if these people had a mixed experiment and see how that feels mm-hmm. rather than offering out as dribs across the whole network is another mm-hmm. way of experimentation. In other words, this is the Mark Randolph playbook. And you know, the risk, of course, is, okay, everything is a nail now. But I so firmly believe, especially for someone like yourself who has their head down focused on building out their bricks and mortar and goes, this could be hugely compelling add-in, the faster you figure out how right you are and what the right model is, the better. Don't waste money, don't waste time, don't waste focus on parts that you don't need to get right yet. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Does that make sense or do you think there's something different about what you're doing that might actually require a different approach? No, it absolutely makes sense. And I think it's good to hear you say that you need to explore this space, but you don't need to dive into the deep end, invest tons of dollars, invest tons of time. You can keep your core competency in the main line of fire and continue to dip the toe in on the digital side and use the shallow end to do the testing to explore different structures and have baby fails versus a massive fail. So I like that approach. I know you're big into the testing, into A-B testing and testing fast. 
And I think staying in the Zoom world, like you're saying, that's easy. I could test something once we hang up this phone call, you know, like it's easy to do. That's exactly with, the point. With Zoom. You'll stop this overthinking it and you'll start honing your intuition because the thing is just speaking to you and we didn't even dig into what your previous experience was but you have years of intuitively sensing what are the barriers i'm going to bump into with a franchisee what are the problems they're going to run into when they try and negotiate the lease you just know that stuff because you have internalized it over the years and you don't have that for the digital piece, or at least I don't think you do. Mm -hmm. And you need to catch up. The best way for you to begin to hone that intuition is to try as much stuff as you can. And all I can do is give you the reassurance is that production value is not going to be the thing that makes or breaks it. You're going to learn 95% of what you need to learn just by seeing how people react. It's good enough. Mm -hmm. Early on when I was actually learning how to podcast. I was doing these beta podcasts, so to speak, you know, where I would basically be mentoring for people and trying stuff and screwing it all up. But one of the people was a woman who had a very, very similar business, but she was doing virtual. And it was almost tragic because, you know, it was like she had spent all this time and all this money designing how this was going to work and sketching it on whiteboards and hiring developers. And I was going, oh my God, you've committed yourself to something you don't yet understand fully. Yes, using Zoom or whatever you want to use is not going to have the bells and whistles that you have sketched out on your whiteboard, but that's not what's going to sink or float this business. Start yeah. just do it. Like you said, the, the key thing you said, the key takeaway is I could begin figuring some of this out as soon as I hang up from the call, including you do it. Say, I'm just going to do it myself for a, uh, a couple of weeks on the side and do some classes and see what's happening. I'm going to try a bunch of stuff. And anyway, mm -hmm. now I'm just beating up on you unnecessarily because I know you get it. Well, no. And, and Mark, honestly, it's a good point because one of the other reasons I'm so confident in what I'm doing in the return to physical in-person fitness is I do all the apps. I have all the apps and through the shutdown, I downloaded three new things onto my phone. I'm like, I'm going to have to work out at home. So it's going to be this, and then it's going to be this, and it's going to be this. And nine times out of 10, I would start a workout and then flip over to Instagram and 15 minutes into my <laughs> workout, like I'm done and definitely falling victim to the quarantine 15. And so I think like if I'm somebody who's in fitness and it's happened to me where I can't stay focused at home on what I'm supposed to be doing, like there's definitely people out there who have all the apps and are not getting the results that they want. So I'm definitely bullish on the return to in-person. Yeah. And don't forget, don't ever lose sight of that first thing that I laid out, which is make sure you're doing this for the right reason. If you're doing it because you see it, wow, there's a niche here. All the time that you've invested in that niche that takes your eye off the ball on your big niche is a mistake. Mm -hmm. Vice versa, uh, if you say, oh, I need to do this because I'm running out of space, that's clearly not true. I think what you're searching for and what your exploration and discovery should be is to what degree do the two of them reinforce each other? Could the key to why 
you weren't able to stick with the ones that you downloaded and tried. I'll take a quick dig here. I can't help it. Probably wasn't because the production value wasn't high enough. No, your premise might be the reason it didn't work because I didn't have a real instructor to hold me accountable. I didn't mm-hmm. have someone who I was going to show up in the class a week later who was going to say, have you doing the following? You're intuitively going, you know, the two of them do work together. And that's the place to pursue is to discover, is there something, can I offer something which makes someone who's on the fence about doing kick house, kick house, right? Doing Mm -hmm. kick house versus opening a fill in the blank for the other 70 or 80 different fitness franchises Mm -hmm. goes, oh yeah, but I really like this one because of the fact it's this blended model could help you there too. So Mm -hmm. it's this searching and discovery and the faster you can learn that, the better. And you're in a hugely advantageous spot because you have 35 running businesses with more in the pipeline. So you have, would you say, 50 to 60, 150 members per franchise? I, mean, I can't do that math in my head. I'm too old. So, you know, 5,000 yeah. Yeah, 5, yeah. or so people who you can begin experimenting with tomorrow. That's really, really awesome. And then be really cool. It'll be looking at some of the metrics here because eventually if you can say, listen, by offering this, it reduces churn or whatever. Mm-hmm increases virality. It's a really cool way to do a freemium model where you bring people in on the virtual, which has almost zero marginal cost, right? but then converts them over to a studio. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited about the potential for you. Just don't disappoint me, Jessica, and get all caught up in the, I've got this dream. And in all I, I, I need is down. Canada, Canada, Canada. <laughs> all I need is $10 million and I need to hire a whole bunch of engineers and then I'll start. Okay. So I hope this helps. Sometimes, you know, you just need someone to smack you on the side of the head and go, you were doing great. Don't get distracted. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what's going on here. And the one thing you do, you alluded to it, but I'm going to hold you to it, is I do want to hear back from you in, uh, I don't know, six to 12 (laughs) months. And we'll do a quick session on how it went and what you learned and what approach you used uh, to do some validation hacking. Absolutely. I'll reach out to you when I'm at 100. (laughs) (laughs) and then by the time we do the second podcast we'll be at 150 (laughs) and then also listen once you do have the ability to do these virtual classes then i guess i have no excuse i'm gonna have to see if i can actually lift my foot above my shoulder to uh to do this effectively it's a great compliment to running and cycling i'm just saying (laughs) (laughs) well okay sold so at least you get at least one customer maybe out of the session perfect Thanks, Jessica. I really appreciate you uh, spending the time. And as always, good luck and go get them. Thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate all your thoughts. What I call the Canada Principle, when seemingly easy business expansion opportunities proved to be major distractions, was one of the most important lessons I learned at Netflix. And it's clear that Jessica's informed investigation of a blended model is very much not the Canada Principle. Her instincts are right on that it's worth a shot. Now, as long as she doesn't bog down on how pretty the videos look and instead uses the more ubiquitous but less glamorous video conference solutions currently available, I think she'll quickly find the right balance. Well, that's all for today. And thanks to Jessica for entrusting her business to me for a little while. I look forward to hearing back from her in a few months to see if my advice helped. In the meantime, if you want to be a guest on That Will Never Work, I've made it really easy. Just go to markrandolph.com forward slash guest, fill out the form, and leave a voice message right there on the site. While you're there, 
Sign up to get my weekly entrepreneurial advice delivered right to your inbox. Or connect with me on Twitter at mbrandolph or on Instagram at thatwillneverwork. Or my newest attempt at denying my age on TikTok, where I promise you won't ever find me dancing without a shirt on. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to smash that like button and leave me a review at Apple Podcasts. I'll see you next time.